Hey, good morning, though. You guys all sound a little tired. It's like you put on a large festival yesterday or helped. Uh, yeah, it's, it, was, it, was a, it was a rough week. And, um, you know, we had the national night out with the uh, police uh, on Tuesday. And we were tired. We made balloon animals, did a lot of fun stuff. Uh, the face painting was pretty good. Um, I'm just saying, glad I'm not, I wasn't painting. All you'd get is like one color sprayed on you. And you can't use spray paint. They really frown on that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, and then it was like the way it falls, Peach Festival is kind of a big deal for Wyoming. You know, sorry for the, the Georgians. Like De Wyoming, Delaware used to be the peach capital of the world before the great peach blight. Uh, so it, it, it's, you know, we have with this with giant festival and it just, it, it all kind of comes together. So at the end of the week, you know, in, in the second week of August or whatever this is, the first Saturday, at, you know, because, yeah, it's the, fir cause the first fell on us. Anyway, we're tired. So uh, we're just going to close now in prayer. And no, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're working through a, a series in the book of Psalms. And, you know, I, I thought today would be interesting because sort of the timing, I thought, well, I'll pick a familiar psalm. And so this is one that even if you don't know scripture, you might know this psalm. When I, when I read it, I often read it at funerals, and people who do not look like they would know any scripture, I start in, and they start saying along. And some of you are like wondering, what is this psalm? Can you guess? 23, right? Psalm 23 is this famous, probably the most famous psalm, maybe the, perhaps the most famous passage of scripture, because people know it. And I remember um, you know, my parents tell me a story. The pastor was trying to get on base, and this was like before 9-11. Security was a little more lax before 9-11. I remember as a, I was a 16-year-old kid driving a toilet paper delivery truck, and they're just waving me onto the base. And I'm like, I'm, wearing, I'm driving this ghetto little truck that looks scary. <laughs> you know, they're like, go on. I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> you know, but I remember, they, and they, they stopped the pastor at the gate, and they're like, well, he's like, well, I'm a pastor. I did the wedding. I did, you know. And I've, I've been in that situation where they forgot to put me on the list even though I'm supposed to pray at the reception that's on base and, and you're like appealing to him trying to get in all kinds of stuff and they're like well can you quote you know Psalm 23 like that was his you know his credentials to get in uh, you know and so this is something familiar but here's like something that's so familiar to us can also be something that, that we kind of don't appreciate insert marriage advice here because we we get so familiar with our spouse that, that sometimes we we forget what they bring to us so take a moment just you know those of you who are married think uh, or, or maybe a friend that you have that you're close to uh, you just kind of you kind of forget your, your family you, you you forget so familiar things sometimes we don't appreciate right um so take take that's a, that's your marriage moment for today uh but we're going to look at psalm 23 and psalm 23 is funny because it's so simple and I think this is why it's powerful to somebody. It's so simple, really, a child can understand it, right? Like, maybe you, you read it as a kid, you know, and you, you got, they did the little shepherd's crook thing, and you know, maybe you dressed up like sheep, I don't know, maybe a creative Sunday school teacher would do that. I'm actually going to have all of you dress up like sheep later, and we're going to walk around. No, uh, not going to do that. Uh, you'd send me down to kids' church. But, but you know, it, it's so simple, but it, there's also, you could write volume after volume theologically about it and what it means it's so we're going to look at it today we're going to read psalm 23 now i'm gonna i'm gonna break well it's funny as soon as i said we have a tradition we've been reading 
the psalm before the sermon, and then I'm like, okay, we're not going to do that this week. So you, you really can't get used to anything here, because I will change it as soon as you get used to it. Um, some of you know that. Um, I am a... But, but, but I think uh, Psalm 23, I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation, because I like the New Living Translation. It's, just, it's a pretty good translation. But then I want to read it, and this will make Dana happy, I'm going to read it in the King James too. So... <laughs> <laughs> a little, little clapter, clapter, it's like laughter, but clapping, clapter. Anyway, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, now, I, I like the King James. I, I tease the King James sometimes, because sometimes you know, there's an underlying Greek and Hebrew to, to Scripture, and the Old Testament is you know, m mostly Hebrew. There's a little tad of Aramaic in there. But, uh, you know, and, and the New Testament is, is, in, is in Koine Greek, a particular type of Greek. But that's another, another, another lesson for another day, because that, that wouldn't even be a good sermon for another day. Although five of you might be interested in that. Uh, but, but, you know, but sometimes I think there's a, a power and eloquence, I don't know if that's the right word, to the King James, because it was really written to be read aloud, and it was written at a time when kind of we, I don't think it's the, you know, the, the zenith of, of English, but it was a pretty cool time where people wrote things pretty well. Anyway, so, so it's a little more poetic, if you will. I'm going to read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still, the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy, mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can I get an amen? Like, there's just, there's something powerful about the, about the way that reads. And I'm, from the nods I'm getting, even from those of you who are not big King James, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the I mean, that's like, that's powerful stuff. And, and so we're, we're going we're gonna to drop in. We're going to go look at it a little bit by a little bit. So Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Now, uh, Andy and I were actually talking about this during the, you know, because you have the, like little lulls where you have lots of kids coming up, and we, we had all these kids games set up, and then we had, the, you know, a table, and we had, like, prizes, and uh, I, I hate being a participation trophy, trophy kind of thing, but it's kind of what we were doing, because it didn't matter if you won the game or not, you know, you, we'd let you have a prize, and kids were running back after they won every game, and I'm like, well, I guess we can give you a prize after every game, but uh, especially later in the day when we knew we had, we had plenty, of, plenty of stuff to give kids. But, uh, you know, but Andy and I, we were sitting there talking, we were talking about this, you know, uh, something as simple as the Lord. A and the underlying, again, it's written in Hebrew, is, is the, the name Yahweh, which is the name of God. And I could, we have long discussions all the time about the Hebrew and everything. It's these four letters, all these. But, but really, the basic meaning of it is, I am that I am. 
And so when we, we, we see Moses, he, Moses, if you, if you know the story, uh, in the book of Exodus, he shows up. The, the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And God is showing up. It's the presence of God. And God's sending you know, him back to Egypt because Mo- Moses, you know, he, he killed someone. He fled across the desert. He's getting married. He's just, he started thinking, I, I'm, I'm never going back there. And God sends him back. And, and so Moses is like, well, who do I say sent me? Like, like what God? Like, what is, you know, what's your name? <laughs> and so God says, I am. And it's, you know, I am that I am. It's, it, it, it's this, this powerful, he, he's not just a, a general God, but he is the God over everything. And there's all this kind of cool theological meaning in it. And here's the thing, the God of the universe, the God who created everything, the God who did all this stuff, loves us has relationship and it's that god who is our shepherd and, you know it's a, and, and so that, that's a powerful truth i remember when i first realized that it really changed my life Be, because you're thinking you kind of go along through life you do what you do right like i was good at you know wrestling lifting picking things up putting things down things like that uh, and, you know and, and i was good at chemistry you know i i, I had real, you know i found out you know i mentioned the sarah salviander who um, you know, is you know, my favorite astrophysicist. You know, she's a power lifter too. I tweeted, I, like, I, I texted Carolina. I'm like, she's a power lifter too. This is perfect. She, should, she and I should be friends. But, but you know, I, you know I, I, I love that stuff, but that was cool. But like when I, when I found out that this, this God of the universe love, it changes. Because then you have this, this personal relationship and out of, you know, all that he created... He, you know, he wants this relationship with us, and it says he's our shepherd. Now, how many of you were in FFA in high school? Got one, got two, three, four. Did you, like, have to tend sheep or anything? Or no, you just did FFA because you got to go outside more? Yes. <laughs> I had a friend who did landscaping, has his shop in, um, you know, at Polytech. You know, you have to pick up. He's like, because I wanted to be outside and get sun. <laughs> Uh, you know, but maybe you were, you were an FFA, did you care for a sheep, uh, you know, or, or who, who went to the state fair last week? We only went like once. That's pretty good. You're pretty good. Uh, we usually go every night to eat um, red velvet uh, funnel cakes. Because, man, you haven't had a funnel cake that you've had red velvet. But anyway, but you go to the state fair, what do you do? Like you go play with the little chicken babies. Did you play with, did anyone go play with the little chicken babies? They're so cute. <laughs> they didn't have them? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just went and got the free stuff and looked at carnival games because we were going to build carnival games. But you know, or you go in the petting zoo. And like, I remember the petting zoo, it's like that, you know, the things are like eating my clothes and everything. And, you know, <laughs> um, you know, I think a goat was eating my shirt one time and I was like, stop it. And the people aren't stopping it because I guess goats do that. And they're like, I don't care. That's just what goats do. I'm not going to bother. Uh, they need to eat something anyway. But, you know, most of us are marooned from agriculture. We go to the store, you know, meat is wrapped in cellophane and everything. It comes that way, you know. And then I, I think it's always funny. People who oppose hunting but, but eat meat. I'm like, just saying, at least the animal got to live free. That's a whole nother, well, it's not going to be a sermon. It's a whole nother discussion for a whole nother day. Or, or you know, you, you go in and you get vegetables and they're just kind of like the most, you, you might go get them in the store or you go to like, you know, the, the farmer's market here and they just come in a little basket, but you didn't have to grow them. 
You know, some of you grow, though. I, I do appreciate the cucumbers. Those were great. <laughs> but, but, you know, we're kind of removed from it. But a lot of the biblical metaphors, the, the, the descriptions of God, come from sort of this agricultural thing. And so the Lord is a shepherd. Now, most of us haven't cared for sheep much. But it, it was sort of, you know, th- this is a, it, it's a, it's a lowly job. Because if you're a shepherd, you kind of got to stick with the sheep. And so, you know, it's interesting, we're looking forward to Christmas, you know, the first visitors Jesus gets are shepherds, you know, and they weren't really, they, you couldn't even like, their, their testimony wouldn't hold up in court, well, they're just the shepherds, <laughs> you know, and they're Jesus' first visitors, because God often reaches out, uh, you know, to the lowly, and I, when I think of shepherds, I often think of, um, you know, because it was the youngest son that often ends up with that job, right, because, you know, I mean, the reason we have kids is so they'll do stuff. I told Josh, you know, when he goes away to college, I'm going to stop burning wood. I can't stack all that wood. You know, <laughs> you know I'd make him do it. I'd make Elle do it. Uh, and they love it. Said no one ever. <laughs> but they're stronger because of it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the youngest kind of gets that job. And if you look at King David, and we talked about it recently, and, you know, Samuel comes to anoint the king and says, you know, hey, Jesse, get your sons together. And the sons come together and you know, the first son walks up and it's like, dude, that guy looks like a king. You know what I mean? Like you, you're tall, strong, you know, and the picture's hair blowing in the wind or something. You know, and you kind of picture that so he's a king. And, you know, and so and God speaks to Samuel. though, It's like, hey, it's not the outward appearance. It's what's in the heart. And they get through all the sons and it's none of the sons. And he's like, Sam was like, hey, got any more kids? Well, there's just, there's David, you know, well, he's out tending the sheep. Like, he didn't even get invited to the party, you know? Like, they didn't even think to, like, hey, let's get David in. He said all the sons. He can meet all the sons except David. You know, he, he's out tending the sheep. And then you picture him, like, he's coming in, like, do you have, does he have to bathe first? Is he stinky? Like, is his mom, like, licking his things and, like, patting his hair down? You gotta look good for Samuel. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, because we'd all do that, right? Like, you know, like when your kid is a mess and you're like, whoa, why did you not bring shoes? I can't tell you how many times I've gotten places and my kids didn't have shoes. Anyone, ever that, anyone else have that problem? You're like, why didn't you bring shoes today? Like, well, I didn't think we'd need them. At the mall? <laughs> well, we're going to buy shoes. Yeah, but usually you wear some old ones there. Uh, <laughs> um it's like problems you never thought you'd have. That was in none of the parenting books. Like, you have to have a checklist. Like, I saw the shoes and shirt, <laughs> but no, apparently you got to check shoes, too. But sometimes people don't wear shoes. Yeah, like at the beach. Uh, anyway. anyway. Um, so he comes in, you know, he gets ready. And so, you know, and it kind of picture then David, I think so much of David's life then shaped who he was as king. And I picture that, that, that time as a shepherd, that time-tending sheep, probably really fed into, you know, the way he describes God is because he understands that, that God is this protector. And, uh, and David, David goes through this stuff. And, and, you know, this is a very personal psalm. You know, it says the Lord is my shepherd. He's not just our shepherd. He's my shepherd, you know. And again, it's this God of the universe that wants this relationship with us now, you might be one in a million people in a city, or we're in a small town, so it's a little smaller, but you, know, you might be one in a million, uh, but, but you're one in a million to God. God. God loves you. God wants this relationship with you. God pursues you. And so many of us, like, we'll run after anything that gives us validation. 
you know, I counsel people, and it's often they go in the wrong way, with wrong relationships, wrong people, because they, they want to be validated. The God of the universe validates you. The God of the universe wants this relationship, wants this personal relationship with you. It's not just something you go to church on Sunday, you say some things, you, you read some things, you, you know, ding some bells, I don't know, burn some incense. It, it, it's this, this, this relationship with God. That's fine if you want to ding bells and burn incense, I don't know. Uh, but but, but it, it's, it's this personal relationship. And, and God leaves heaven to come down to us you know philippians 2 says this uh you know philippians 2 starting verse 5 you must have the same attitude that christ jesus had though he was god he wasn't just some some dude like like he's god you know we, we talk about the trinity the that you know and i always use like you know body wash shampoo conditioner three in one people hate that but it's like you know there, there's threeness there's oneness to it anyway so Though he was God, he did not consider, think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. The point is, the God of the universe takes this lowly path to pursue us, to have this relationship with us, to give us new life, to redeem us, to make us whole. Uh, and that's just, I mean, that's powerful. And we can forget that. It's, the shepherd then becomes this metaphor for God, you know, God's people. You know, Jesus, when he sees uh, people who are confused and helpless, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus, he comes to us to, to be this shepherd. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting because this psalm was written like a thousand years before Jesus shows up. Like sometimes we read the Bible, like maybe you have a study Bible, it's got some dates in it, maybe you don't kind of look at it, but there's like this, this timeline it's amazing when you look at the Bible, it has this, this one continuous story throughout it, this one theme throughout the Bible when you look at it, to say that God is coming to redeem. And so a thousand years before Jesus shows up, David's kind of speaking to the shepherd who is to come, and Jesus tells the story in Luke 15, and you knew I'd get to Luke. <laughs> Luke 15 is one of my favorite chapters and one of my favorite Gospels. It's in my top four favorite Gospels. Um, and it... <laughs> I, 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 lo I, love, I love Luke. And Jesus tells this story. He says this in Luke 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I like that. They're not just sinners. They're notorious sinners. I always think of notorious B-I-G. I don't know. That's my, anyway, often came to listen to Jesus teach. They made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associated with such sinful people, even eating with them. <laughs> and so Jesus told, told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And there's, there's really, God wants this relationship with us. And I, I always find this so powerful. There was a video, someone posted it in the Deepwater Facebook group a while back, and you know, posted online. It's the one where they, they like, do all this work to get the sheep out of the, the ditch, and, and, you know, and then they get them out, and he goes, and right back in the ditch. Um, hilarious. 
because I feel like that sometimes. So maybe some of you see, someone, you know, if someone's watching online, they know where that video is, we post that one right now. It's, you know, it's funny because, it's funny, but it's funny because it's kind of like us sometimes, is that, you know, God gets a lot of, a lot of stuff, and we jump back in. And this parable, I remember reading this the first time, and I'm like, why would you leave the 99 for the 1? It almost, like, it doesn't make sense to me, right? Because you're like, well, what about the 99? And, you know, you spend all your time trying to figure that out. But the point is, God pursues us at great cost and risk. You know, he, he, he could have stayed up in heaven and gone, man, those people are messed up. Send another flood. Send fire this time. Let's just explode the earth. That'd be cool. And picture like the Death Star when it destroys uh, in, you know, a planet. Anyway, uh, not cool for us, though, right? Uh, and, you know, there's a, there's a popular song. Now, this could, this could actually bring up more controversy than anything else I'm going to say today, and I was, I was, th- I, I, but I thought of it this morning when I was going over my notes, kicking stuff out, and I'm like, how can I have so many notes for such a short psalm? <laughs> uh, so we're not going to stick to my notes, we're just going to kind of cruise through. But a popular song today uh, says, the overwhelming, and you know, some, your worship team already knows which one I'm going with, right? The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, it chases me down, fight till I'm found, leaves the 99, kind of reference there. Uh, uh, I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Now, some people are really bothered by the idea of God's reckless love. And you could go on and you could find all kinds of blogs about it. Maybe some of you ha- have, have a problem with this idea of reckless. And part of the problem is we think of like the full lexical meaning of the word reckless. Like we're like trying, well, it's not reckless in this sense. And the, but the point, and I, 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 was, I was like, what did the author actually mean of this? Because I don't get the sense of like God's foolish. That, that's not at all, I, I think, what they're trying to say with this word. It, it, the idea is, is God is, you know, pursuing us at great cost it almost appears reckless because he leaves heaven to come to us and and if you don't understand that and its gravity you don't understand why it would almost seem reckless it seems reckless to leave the 99 to pursue the one but that's the love god has for us and so um the author explains it this way i'm gonna read it in his words i'm gonna leave out a few things because it was a really long facebook post because man people were upset about this the worship team, you guys probably know, right? Like, and then you have these debates. Like, you're like, do we play the song? Do we not play? I get texts sometimes after church because they're like a lyric, and they're like, I don't think, you know, uh, you know, this, you know, because we little turns of English phrases and stuff, and it's funny to me. And I, I think it is really important about what the songs we sing about God because, I, you know, unless we go to just the Psalms, you know, <laughs> there's always going to be like an imperfect description. But anyway, <laughs> um, but I, I love getting texts about the grammatical English questions of uh, songs after church. Actually, you can text me, just wait till after my nap, because uh, you know, before my nap, you don't know what kind of response you're going to get. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> it says this, when I use the phrase, this is what the author said, the reckless love of God, I'm not saying that God himself is reckless. I am, however, saying that the way he loves is in many regards quite so. What I mean is this, he's utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his actions with regard to his own safety, comfort, and well-being. His love isn't crafty or slick. It's not cunning or shrewd. His love doesn't consider himself first. His love isn't selfish or self-serving. He doesn't wonder if he'll gain or lose by putting himself out there. He simply gives himself away. His love leaves the 99 to find the one every time. To many practical adults, 
Now, that's a foolish concept. But what if he loses the 99 in search of the one? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> what if finding that one lost sheep and always be supremely important? His love isn't cautious. No, it's a love that sent his own son to die a gruesome death on a cross. And in that sense, God's love seems to us reckless. It's, it's, it's not, it's just, it's characteristically loving, giving, seeking. And all of Luke 15, I, I love that chapter because it's lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. It, it, God, God comes to redeem. And so he's a shepherd that doesn't just leave us off someplace. He's, he's a shepherd who comes to redeem us, to call himself to himself. And Jesus reminds us, uh, perhaps, of this psalm uh, when he speaks in John. John is one of my four favorite gospels. Inside joke, there's four gospels, if you didn't know. I, I, like, I like John because, uh, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, like, you're kind of looking at them going, did you copy a little off each other? You know, like, if they were, if they were te- essays that got turned into me as a professor, and I ran them through, I'd run them through software to figure out, you know, there, there's cheating and stuff. I have to, like, you know, hey, sorry, you didn't note this right and all this stuff. You know, if I ran it through the software, they'd be like, um, there's some similarity between these papers that we got to, like, you know, check their... Anyway, but, but they're kind of like, they, they're called the synoptic gospels. So they kind of tell the same stories the same way. There's some differences, but they're kind of like... John is, one of these kids is doing his own thing. You remember, like, was it Sesame Street? And it was like, one of these kids is doing... Do they still do that on Sesame Street? One of these kids is doing his own thing. And it was like, three kids would be jumping rope, and, like, the fourth kid is, like, kickboxing or something. Or they wouldn't have had a kickboxing in those days. And it's like, that's John. And so I like John, because John kind of writes later... And he was like Jesus' buddy, and so he, he writes in different ways. And, uh, uh, anyway, so John chapter 10. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Uh, but verse 2 <laughs> says, But the one who enters th- through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. They follow him because they know his voice. And, and, and so when we come to know the shepherd, Jesus, you know, you know, we, we, we hear his voice. And, and a lot of us, sometimes we let that drown out. And that's a, that's a whole other sermon for another time. And I've talked about that. We let all these other voices and things speak into our life. But we have to, you know, follow Jesus' voice and what he would call us to do. Um, John, John, excuse me, John, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll ban the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. So the wolf attacks him and scatters the flock. Now, most of us are probably not out in the field watching for wolves, right? Anyone stay out last night to check for wolves? Um, you know, I think they are up in Newcastle County again. But anyway, you know, and there's coyotes and stuff, aren't they? Anyway, uh, but, you know, like if you're a low-wage security guard, you're not risking your life for the bank owner, right? Like you're just like, I'm out of here, you know. seven fifty an hour, not good enough for me to lose my life. You know, and so the hired hand, you know, if you're just in it for what's in it for you, you're not going to lose your life over something like that. Uh, but, but Jesus, he comes, he gives his life for his flock. He, you know, he, he makes that ultimate sacrifice. Uh, starting verse 14, says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me, just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not the sheepfold. I will bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is number one. He's overall. And so Jesus gives his life for us so we can have this restored relationship with him. Uh, and, you know, left to their own, sheep do dumb things. And I, 
the jump out of the ditch, jump back. I, I read this story because like I heard it and I was like, I don't know, that, that doesn't sound right. So I started doing some research, Googling, you know, research now just means Googling a lot of stuff. But, I, but I, I, found, I found this article, I found similar ones too, and this is crazy to me. Uh, and you can Google this story. Turkish sheep die in mass jump. The sheep were precious to the local villagers. Turkish shepherds watched in horror as hundreds of their sheep followed each other over a cliff, says Turkish newspaper reports. First, one sheep went over the cliff edge, only to be followed by the whole flock, according to reports. More than 400 sheep died in the 15-meter fall. That's like, you know, 15 yards for those of you. That's a lot. Uh, their bodies cushioning the fall of the 1,100 who followed. The sheep belonged to a village in the western Van province. Papers say the sheep were worth about, you know, in U.S. dollars, would be like $58,000. Every family had an average of 20 sheep. Now some families have... Uh, only a few families have sheep left. It's going to be hard for us. Now, I feel bad laughing at their misfortune, but that's how dumb sheep are. Hey, look, he went over the cliff. He's probably going someplace good. Woo! Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, the last ones, at least they're like, I picture soft and fluffy, surdy sheep, you know? Like, at least the last ones get a little cushion. But, you know, that, that's, I think you're like, they're so dumb. But how often... Do we follow something? We follow advice. We follow our friends. You know, <laughs> people whose lives are a wreck. For some reason, we look to them for advice. I'm just saying. <laughs> and we, we, we follow stupid things, and we get stupid consequences. You know, what is it? Play stupid uh, games, win stupid prizes. Or <laughs> you know, and often we follow the wrong voices. And that's, you know, we have to be careful to Listen to the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Not the culture is my shepherd. Not Dana is my shepherd. I'm not saying you're a stupid boy. <laughs> but you're right there. And you, know, you, you get called out. Uh, yeah, don't, now everyone's going to move to the back just in case. <laughs> First person here, you know. I usually point to Deborah now. Anyway, anyway love the first row of people. Anyway, you know, <laughs> We got that far, and we're only like in the Lord is my shepherd. You're like, this sermon is going to go forever. Uh, but it says, you know, I have all that I need. You know, and ultimately, you know, God provides for us. King James says, I shall not want. I like that. Uh, left to themselves, sheep don't do well, right? Like, I, I read a story, and I, we, we've talked about this one before, because his name was Barak. It was a sheep in Australia. <laughs> it's just funny when they name things like that. I don't know. Anyway, Barak, uh, hallelujah, Shabbat, praise, anyone remember that? No, oh, I'm the only one who remembers that. Two other people, but they don't want to admit it. Three, I did his three, do I hear four, do I, anyway. Uh, you know, it was a domesticated sheep. Now, here's the thing, domesticated sheep, the, the, we kind of bred them in a way that it's not natural, and so they need to be, like, cared for. And, and they found this one, it was like, they found it off in the woods or something, and, uh, you know, they get infections and stuff. Sheep can actually fall over and die because they can't right themselves back on their feet. They're like turtles. They're like weeble wobbles that are broken. You know, they just, <laughs> they weeble and they don't wobble. <laughs> and they get infections. You know, they need a shepherd. And they cut off like 75 pounds of wool off this sheep, you know, after they found him. You know, he couldn't see right, all kinds. You know, and that's kind of how we are, you know. We, we need care. We, we need to be cared for, left to our own. Sometimes we don't know. But here's the thing. As much as God provides for, 
and cares for us, we often aren't satisfied, right? Like, I have been satisfied with my TV for the longest time. But a friend and I were doing lunch, and uh, he's like, hey, I got to swing in and grab something, you know, something at Best Buy. And so we go into Best Buy, we walk in, and there's like a 70-inch TV for like a couple hundred bucks. Suddenly, the TV I never watch, because <laughs> we, we never even look at our TV hardly. I think, you know, once a week or, you know, because you tend to watch everything on your phone. But it's like, I, I go in, I'm like, oh, I need that giant TV. And like, suddenly, I was no longer satisfied, you know, with 50 inches or whatever mine is. I wanted 70. And I started thinking about these. We could replace these. No. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, and then I, every time I go into Sam's Club, I love Sam's Club because they used to have all the samples, like, before COVID, man. It was like, you got the hors d'oeuvres, then you get a piece of pizza on the way out. They had made-to-order calzones at one we used to live. You know, I would order my calzone at, the, at Sam's. It was great. And then I'd, like, walk around and get all the, you know, hors d'oeuvres. And I knew where the cheese tray was. They always kept it in the back. Nobody knew where the cheese tray was. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, I, I love Sam's Club. But, like, every time I go in, like, you walk in. Anyone you go to Sam's? What's, what's right in the beginning? Besides tires to your right, because most of us are not like, oh boy, tires, I need those. I do need some, but, <laughs> but you, know, you, you walk in and you, what, do you, what do you see? Gi I see the giant TVs, and I'm always like, every time you ask my wife, I'm like, hey, I think we're out of those. Like, like that's my only line for we need to get, like, we're out of 100-inch TVs or whatever, you know. And, I, like, I've put it on our grocery list. It doesn't come home with her, though. Uh, <laughs> I don't even want one, but it kind of makes me want one, right? Because we can be, we can't, often we're not satisfied because we see something else. And we can be completely satisfied with what we have, but then we know that something looks better. You know, the grass is always greener on the other side, and we tend to want. And so we have to, there's this, this trust and this contentment that you have to learn to have as a believer. You know, can I, can I be content in what God has given me? You know, and most of us would, would uh, you know, if you live in other cultures, you know, I'm not, I'm not always like, oh, look at our culture, it's so much better. But, like, you travel, and, like, people are content with a lot less than we are. Americans, man, we are so spoiled. <laughs> you know, like, like, you read hotel reviews, and you're like, seriously, that's what you're complaining about? <laughs> the decor looks dated. Well, did the toilet flush? <laughs> I've, I've stayed some places where the toilet didn't work, you know. It's like you're glad you have indoor plumbing when you come back. <laughs> you know, but, you know, we, we tend to look at other things and then not be content. Instead of learning to be content with what God's given us. Um, 1 Timothy 6 says this, starting verse 6. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world. We can't take anything with us when we leave. There's no U-Haul on the end of a hearse, although I've always wanted to do that just as a joke. Um, if I die, you guys got to remember all the things I said would be funny at my funeral. I want a U-Haul at the hearse. I want, I want jelly beans. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> it's going to be a party because I'm going home. So, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. I, and we need to learn to be content in what God gives us uh, instead of, you know, always wanting to wander off to other fields. Um, God gives us rest. It says this, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. And you sort of picture this I idyllic sort of 
mountain scene. I, I picture like a lush green meadow and you know, you're chilling by a stream. Maybe if you're, if you're into fishing, you're fishing, you're resting. You know, and I love a good comfortable nap. You know, there's, there's something about a nap. I'm picturing, I'm always picturing this in a hammock too because I don't want to lay in the grass because it makes me itch. Uh, <laughs> you, know, and, and, you know, rest is good, right? Uh, you know, Matthew chapter 11 says this, verse 28, that, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You know, uh, this is spoken because of the religious burdens people try to put on people. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there's, there's this, th- this, this grace that we have, that, that there's this light burden. It doesn't mean we don't have things to do. It says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. It, it doesn't mean there's no obligations, but there's this peace and joy and lightness to it because if you try to be religious and make your way to God, it's hard. Like, like I, I, I know people and it's like, they, they kind of feel like they have to earn God's favor. And so then you're, there's a lot of pressure. If you've got to earn your way into heaven, man, you have a bad day, didn't get your coffee. You know, it, it's tough because you get a little snippy snappy. Well, you're down a step or two. You know, you're going to have to pay that off in purgatory or something. No, but it's like when you have to earn, it's hard. But, but it's purely by grace, and, and there's this easiness. And, and God gives us this, this peace, too. And John 14 says, I'm le- leaving you with a gift, a peace of mind, peace of heart. The peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. And, and we can have this, this, this peace of, of mind in the midst of a crazy world, because sometimes it's crazy out there. Some of you know you're out there. Some of you are the crazy out there. Uh, <laughs> but, but we have this peace. It says this, God, you know, God renews us. He, he renews my strength. He guides me along right paths uh, to bring honor uh, to his name. And you know, Isaiah says in, in chapter 53, you know, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. Paul picks this up really in Romans uh, 3.23 where he says, everyone has sinned, we fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet in Yet in his grace, uh, yet in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. And so there's this this grace, this restoration that, that, that God gives us. It, it gives us true rest. Um, you know, and often despite going our own way, you know, God wants this relationship with us. He wants to restore us. And, and then he ultimately then uses us to build his kingdom, which is sort of an amazing thing. I know sometimes people are like, oh, I don't want to volunteer to do this or that. You know, I don't want to, you know, be obligated. But, you know, we get to be a part of building the kingdom of God. You know, sometimes it's scary sharing your faith with your neighbor, sharing your na- you know, faith with a friend, but it's this cool privilege. We get to be about God's kingdom and his God thing. Uh, it's just this, uh, God, you know, uh, you know, uh, verse four, you know, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. You can let King James, yea, though I'll walk through the valley of shadow of death. <laughs> uh, for you are close beside me, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You know, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. Spiritually, you know, we have, mount- we talk about mountaintop experiences. And, and so if you've ever been like on a missions trip, anyone ever go on a missions trip? It's like awesome, isn't it? Like the, exp- I mean, there's hard times too, but you have these incredible, like experience and kind of wish you could stay there or if you go to like camp i used to run camps for kids and we bring kids to camp man and it was like we the programming we directed the whole camp in such a way to 
point kids to Jesus. And we had some really, you know, there's some articles, you know, you're, you're talking about real life stuff and everything, but it's really, it, it points you to Jesus, and you come back, you're like, incredible and you know but we don't live on the mountaintop i like mountaintops i remember uh, some of you I, I recommended to some of you mount chakora uh, in new hampshire i remember i you know if you ever get up there it's this cool summit it was like the first mountain i climbed in new hampshire when we were living up in maine we drove over and man the eggs were so good at that little diner i wish i could find that diner again uh i think they like had them out back with chickens and some oh man it was good and so, and you can eat whatever you want when you're climbing mountains because it expends a little bit of energy. But I remember we, we climbed and it was like, we're, we're in the, the valley, if you will. We're like all these trees and everything. And, and my buddy had his like husky that like ran everywhere and then showed up. So every once in a while, this wolf looking thing just appeared. You're like, oh, that's cool. It's just his dog. He was also my dentist. So that's a long story. Um, and so we're, we're, we're hiking up, the, we're hiking, we're hiking up, hiking, hiking, hiking up, not the dog, wasn't my dentist, the, the, the guy who owned the dog. And, and so we, we, we get up, we get up to the top of the mountain, it was beautiful, it was like a 360 summit, where like you're standing on this chunk of rock, and you're like looking around, you're like, this is incredible, and my one friend is like, yeah, I remember one time we climbed this on the ice, and I almost went over the edge, and I'm like, okay, thanks, I'm, like, I'm a little afraid of heights, now I'm a lot afraid of heights, you know. But it was like this beautiful thing. But here's the thing. Have you ever gotten to the top of the mountain and seen, like, dudes just living there? Maybe there is somewhere. But every mountain I've ever climbed, nobody lives on top. There's, there's really no light. The, the life is the rest of it. Down in the valley, there's the trees. Down in the valley, there's, there's water. And, and, and so sometimes we want to kind of, we want to do, these, you know, big things. But, but that's not where all of life is. It's not always on the, the mountaintop experiences we have spiritually. Um, this guy wrote this. He said, It is important to note that the valley of the shadow of death is as much in God's right path for us as the green pastures which lie beside, beside quiet waters. That is, the Christian life is not always tranquil, nor, as we say, a mountaintop experience. God gives us valleys also. It is in the valleys with their trials and dangers that we develop character. You know, we're often much more conscious of God's presence when we go through the valleys of life, right? Uh, you know, Rick Warren said, you never know uh, God is all you need until God is all you have. And, and you know, <laughs> we have to trust that God is leading to the right places, even if we don't see, uh, don't see it at the time. Um, now, I've recently, uh, a dog has joined our family. Some of you know, his name is Loki. Uh, he's a little crazy. Some of you met him at the East thing because we, we went in to like look at him and we didn't know you like walk home with him that day. And so we, we suddenly had a dog. Uh, my daughter had a volleyball tournament. My son had practice. My wife was gone. And I had a dog and trying to run an Easter egg thing. Uh, so, uh, so Loki came to the Easter egg thing, even though he was not people ready yet. He, he loves people, but he's crazy and he's really still pretty crazy anyway so loki because I, I, I don't raise sheep i think of loki uh, and you know loki is about as close to sheep i have now if i uh if i bring him outside uh, and we still kind of have to you know secure him because he likes to just run and we're working on you know how far you can go and all that stuff those of you who have dogs understand uh, now if, here's the thing if i put him outside if i go in to get a toy if i go in to get a tennis ball he whines and cries because he thinks I've abandoned him, right? Oh, that's sad. But that's kind of how we are sometimes with God. Like, like, 
we, we kind of lose sight of him for a second, and we don't know what he's up to, and then we're crying out, right? And there's this, this trust we have to have that, you know, that God's not forgetting about us. He's not leaving us out on a chain, you know, but God has something for us. And sometimes he's working in ways that we can't see, but we have to trust his character. We trust that, that you know, he loves for us. He wants to provide for us. And it says, verse 5, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings, you know. I picture anointed oil, Jesus and Simon, they would like anoint your head with oil. That was sort of like the lotion of the day. I mean, if someone just came and poured oil on me, I would think it was weird. <laughs> but you know, that, that, that's, that's part of the culture and that's what, you know, the way they, they kind of refreshed you. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, you know a, prepare a feast for me, you know. You kind of go back to the shall not want, you know. We want even bigger and God has it for us and God provides what we need. Now, another Loki story. Um, I, I think I mentioned to you, some of you guys, I know I've talked to you personally. Uh, my dog, I, this is weird, my dog likes watermelon. Is that your I don't think, my, my last dog was Chewy, Chewbacca. <laughs> Love that dog. But I don't think Chewy, did Chewy eat watermelon? I don't remember meeting watermelon. This dog, he will sit there when I eat watermelon. Now, the reason we found out he liked watermelon is I dropped the piece one time and he ate it. Rind and all. <laughs> now, I thought about getting rid of all my rinds that way, but here's the thing. And I found out there are, like, recipes for cooking watermelon rinds. Did you guys know that? I had no idea. It's like it's a southern thing or something. Some of you are, like, looking at me with a sketchy look right now. Don't worry. Next potluck, I am not bringing watermelon rinds uh, <laughs> because I got a dog that takes care of them. But... No, like, but, but now it's like, after a long, hot day, like, uh, like Friday, we, we were here, we were finished getting the church ready for some stuff, people had done mulch and everything, we were, we were cleaning up, we are doing some stuff, it, I got home, it was late, I don't even want to eat, all I want is watermelon, because it's watermelon season, and there's something beautiful about watermelon season, some of you know what I mean, and I, I'd gone, I got a big watermelon for like four bucks, and you know, and so I, I'm eating my watermelon, not the whole thing, when I was younger, I could eat the whole melon, you know, a little older, I'm, I can't eat the whole melon, uh, but now it's like I'm sitting there, I'm eating watermelon, and if I don't give Loki a piece fast enough, he does this thing where he's on one side of me, he goes to the other, like, like maybe he didn't see me, like, and then he runs to the other side. And I'm like, I know where you are, dog. <laughs> you know, and, and it's funny because it's, you know, uh, and he's frustrated when I throw away the rhymes. You know, he's like, oh, those are the best. Uh, no, no, they're not. Um, you know, God sees us and he knows what we need. Like, we may want the rhymes. It's probably not the best thing for the dog, right? <laughs> uh, I, and I'm, I'm giving him what I consider the best. And we have to trust that God has our best in mind. We, we may think God doesn't see us. We're running from side to side. God, 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 God. But, but you know, God has what we need. And God will give it to us in his timing. But there's a trust. Can I trust God for that? Can I, can I trust him in his time? Because I want things in my own time, right? Like, I want God to work in my own time. I want him to give me what I want. I, I want everything now. But, but God's not always doing that because it's not always what's best for me. You know, I, 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 I care for my dog. I give him what I think is best for him. Certainly God, who is the God of the universe, created everything, knows the best for us and wants to give us that. You know, it's, it's, 
it's funny because, um, you know, we all have, we all other people like dog, who have dogs. You know, you, you maybe have that neighbor, that friend, who like is a bad dog owner. They're not quite bad enough that you can call the SPCA, but you're like, man, I feel bad for that dog. Or maybe they are bad and you call the SPCA. You know, but, but then there's the, the other do dog owner who's obsessed with their dog. I'm sorry if that's you. I'm about to offend you. Like, you bring the dog everywhere. I mean, I bring my dog places. Don't get me wrong. But it's like, you know, like a picture like Paris Hilton carrying a little thing all around the, you know. Like, your dog travels more than most people. Your dog's eating caviar. I don't know, whatever. I don't know what rich people do with their dogs. <laughs> we're we're, we're poor folk. <laughs> but, you know, you kind of picture that. Now, if you could choose to be a dog, you, would you choose option one or option two? I'd rather be spoiled and jet-setting and everything than, than tied up in a backyard. But here's the thing. God is more like owner three. You know, care for the dog, but doesn't neglect or overindulge the dog. You know, and I'm saying we're, you know, the Lord is my dog owner, but the Lord is my shepherd. God cares for us, and we have to, again, trust him. Because um, sometimes what we go after is not something that is good for us. Now, this week, Loki was outside. It was on a leash. He saw a cat, a black cat with a white stripe down its back. <laughs> the kind of cat that sprays stuff. <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> Denise had the end of the leash. He didn't get much of it. But <laughs> to him, oh, you got to let me go. I got to chase it. We live out in the wild. Some of you have been to our house. You know, I'm going to chase It's a skunk, for those of you who didn't get the, the, all the, the, the references there. You know, it's not good for Loki to find a skunk, right? Because if you've ever been fully sprayed by a skunk, I mean, he kind of smelled a little just coming inside. We like, had to do some stuff to de-stinkify him. That's a, that's a word, de-stinkify. Uh, but, you know, had we not, had, had we not had a leash, he would have gone off and it would have been worse. And, and sometimes God, God puts us on a leash, kind of we're losing the shepherd metaphor there, maybe he hooks us with the crook, uh, you know, but because what we go after is not always things that are good for us, right? Uh, you know, and ultimately, verse 6 says this, it says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my li life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, your goodness and mercy. And again, this is that word chesed, you know, the, your loving kindness. And God's loving kindness pursues us. And I, I was trying to think of like, uh, of, of what this was like. And the image that came to my mind this week is Terminator 1. Um, some of you remember the Terminator series of movies. Some of you are ungodly and don't know them. No. <laughs> no, I, it, like it was a big part of my childhood was like things like the Terminator and I was slightly, you know, liked Arnold Schwarzenegger because he was huge. <laughs> anyway, but you know, in Terminator, there's this scene in the beginning, and uh, Sarah Connor is like running from this dude that she thinks is like kind of like chasing her. It turns out he's the guy who's trying to save her because the Terminator's coming. So she's trying to, and so I picture. God's love is like the Terminator pursuing you, but the, the good guy. <laughs> He's relentless. He's coming to save us. It's so, I know that's a terrible analogy, but that's how I see it. You know, God, God pursues us with his love, but again, we have to trust. Can I trust that God has the best for me, or do I always have to go my way, my plan? Um, you know, and ultimately, you know, life now is good. But, you know, I have conversations with people all the time, and, you know, a lot of people are afraid to die. 
you know, I, I get it. Like, I don't, the act of dying, I'm not, like, I don't want to be eaten by sharks. <laughs> like, I, you know, there's certain things I don't want, you know. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to fall out of an airplane and, you know, that sudden stop at the end, you know. I, there, I, I get it. Like, the, the act of death I could see being scary. But actual death? I mean, someday I, I, I hope to go to sleep and wake up in the presence of God. You know, I, I don't fear death because I, I know he who has overcome death. I don't fear death because I know the God who saved me. And ultimately, we all end up there. You know, the, the death rate hovers around 100%. If you're born, I promise you, you will die. And we have nothing to fear when we know Jesus. You know, um, a guy said this, he said, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, says, death is not the house, just the porch. Like, ultimately, you know, Jesus said, John 14, there's, no, there's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I not have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come to you so that you will always be with me where I am. So, you know, you know some translations say, uh, um, you know, you know, uh, many mansions, and I think it's the idea is, you know, we're, we're ultimately going home to God, and, and so it's just the front porch. Death is just the front porch, the way you get, you get into our eternal reward in heaven. And, and so, when we put our faith and our trust in Christ, we can, we, you know, we often read this to people on their deathbed, yeah, and sometimes it's, you know, some of the last words people speak because they find it comforting, it's especially comforting if you know Him. Because we're coming home. We live for Jesus now, so ultimately we can live with Jesus forever. Um, and we need to look to him who is the good shepherd, not just in the bad times, not just in the time of death. We look to him every day so that we can live differently. I want to read it, read the psalm again, and then uh, the worship team will come back to play. We're going to take communion today, too. Uh, I'm going to read it again in the King James. Because <laughs> it... It is powerful. It says, so th think about all those things when we read it again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord.